Our first reading is from 2 Kings 4, verses 42 to 44. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, and verses 24 to 35. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus Christ. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the people sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What 
what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Holy One, we come before you and ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. May these words be yours, Lord. Take them and make them yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So good to be with you, and I'll just blather a little bit so the sound people can make adjustments from the very deep voices that you usually hear to the higher one that you're going to hear today. My title of my sermon I called Echo, Call and Response. Interesting given that there is something of an echo happening outside. So it all ties in so beautifully. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a concert, one of Beethoven's sonatas played on violin and piano. Perhaps the musicians amongst you will know that. And as I listened, I heard a pattern that sounded to me like a call and response. An echo ran through. The musicians played back and forth, a call and a response, a line played and a line repeated, not exactly, but echoes of what they had heard. And it occurred to me that there was something like that happening in today's reading from John 6, a long reading and lots to unpack, so settle down. There's an echo, a recollection calling for a response. The feeding of the 5,000 is the familiar story to many of us, but not for the crowds following Jesus. It was something new, and yet there are echoes from the history. Who's this man? Is the hope for the future? A prophet? A king? Yes, but not one they'll immediately understand. And it's important for us to remember that the words that John uses are not wasted, they're spare. They're not added to embellish the gospel or the sermon. John has important things to say for us to hear, both in the early church and in the church today. And the groundwork's already been laid by John. Signs, healing the sick, Cana. The water turned into the very best wine, the best kept until last, an echo of the Eucharist. And then the living water at the well. And then identity, 
Nicodemus, no one can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And the Samaritan woman, he cannot be the Messiah, can he? So the, the ground has been set. We've got the points, at least some of them. And in the reading today, more echoes the Passover. I'm just going to keep fiddling with this mask. I know it's very distracting. We'll try this. Now I can't breathe. But <laughs> the pa- okay. The Passover. Moses, the manna from heaven. Elisha taking a little and feeding a hundred. And a mountain. Have you noticed wondrous things always seem to happen when a mountain is around? You who bring good news to Zion, go up on the high mountain. So the passage begins, as we know, with Jesus crossing the water, presumably in a traditional way in a boat, though he will use a less orthodox way for returning. And a large crowd follow him because, we're told, they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. They'd seen the signs. But even so... And even following the miracle on the mountain, the crowd will later ask, what signs are you going to do? When Jesus arrives on the other side of the water, he goes up a mountain, as John describes it. But I'm thinking picture here may be more, given the seating arrangements of at least 5,000 people, less a mountain and more grassy hills, because he tells them to sit on the grass. Passover is near. We're told this too. Jesus sits down with his disciples before the crowd comes. And then John tells us he lifts up his eyes. Perhaps, probably first to heaven and then to see the crowds coming toward him. Another echo. In John 4, the disciples are urging Jesus to eat. He tells them he has food they don't know about. And when they start asking, his response is, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. Imagine 5,000 people approaching, ripe for harvest. And Jesus makes a quick getaway. No, that would be me. He does, but it's not right now. Jesus asked Philip, who has the misfortune of standing next to him, probably, where are we going to buy bread for these people? And in case we mistakenly believe that Jesus is wondering where to buy bread, the gospel writer points out Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And Philip's response is a practical one. Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for even a little for all these people. So that's not really the question. Andrew is able to come up with something. There just happens to be a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. And you ask, though, what's this among all these people? So neither thinks that there is enough. The need is great and the resources are meager. What can we do? What do we have to offer? Maybe that's something that we ask sometimes. Lift up your eyes and see that the field is ripe for harvest. Look, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Look, the need is great, but the barley loaves are few. Look and see what God can do. And what of this boy with the barley loaves? Why do we need to know that there's a boy? Why do we need to know that the loaves are barley? 
Again, there's an echo, this time recorded in two kings that we heard read this morning. Elisha has 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain. And he says, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant, lightly a boy, says, how can I set this before a hundred men? And he repeats, go, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. And so they eat and indeed there was some left. Back on the hillside, Jesus has at least 5,000 sitting on the green grass. I felt that I should mention here that, as some of you probably know, the words this morning were changed from men to people. The way we've got around it before is that the men were sitting on the grass and presumably the women and children were standing around somewhere. It doesn't really matter, but the point being that it it may have been a few more than 5,000. The point, though, is it was a lot of people. And it wasn't probably just men. So I think this is right. The people were sitting down. And if not, everyone got to eat. So John tells us that they're sitting on green grass. And we wonder why did he need to mention this grass? And again, perhaps it's another echo. Early spring, Passover. Likely there'd been rain. Establishing a time. And then Jesus takes the loaves. He gives thanks and he distributes the bread and the fish to those who, are satis- those who are seated until they are satisfied. So he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it. Another Eucharist echo. And then he tells the disciples gather up so nothing is lost. You hear that little echo with Elisha? There was some left, but nothing was wasted. More than we can ask or imagine. 500 had eaten, and there was enough left to fill 12 baskets. So why 12 baskets? Maybe so we can see the abundance that comes from just a little. More than we can ask or imagine. Twelve is a significant number. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve disciples. None are lost except the one destined to be lost. So a miracle has happened before the eyes of the disciples and before the crowd. And does that stir any of those echoes? Does it bring back memories? Does it confirm that God is at work, that something is happening? Does it make them wonder, is this indeed the promised one? The crowd recognized something because they say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And they want to make Jesus their king. And at that point, Jesus does make a hurried departure. And then in our reading this morning, there's a segue during which time Jesus walks across the water, scaring his disciples half to death. And we come to the second part of our reading. When the crowd did not see Jesus on the water, they find him, and they now refer to him as rabbi. So there seems to have been a change here. And they wonder how he got to the other side of the lake. And unless it's a completely different crowd, which some have suggested wrongly, I believe, they have seen some signs. 
They've seen some signs or heard of them from the sick, John said. They had witnessed a miracle on the grassy mountain. As I've been thinking about this sermon and reading different things, it's interesting the way some people have chosen to explain the miracle rather than accept it, so that maybe all the people came with their packed lunch and their little plastic bag of fish or what have you. Of course, they didn't have plastic, I'm being... But it was a miracle. And so you and I must say, do we believe this? Do we believe in miracles? When the crowd asked Jesus, when did you get here? He tells them they're only following him because they've had their fill of bread. So that would seem to confirm that he was the one who gave. Every good thing comes from God, John John tells us. But I was thinking that we don't necessarily see here that Jesus is being critical of their need to feed. He's speaking truth. The people need to eat. Jesus needed to eat. Of course he knows they need to eat. He's the one who fed them bread. But there's more. I've been rereading For the Life of the World by Alexander Schumann, and he writes, The Bible begins with man... People as a hungry being, with the man who is that which he eats. In the Bible, the food the man eats, the world of which he must partake in order to live, is given by God. It's given as communion with God. All that exists is God's gift to us, and it all exists to make God known to us, to make our life communion with God. And the Gospels show us continually Jesus interacting with people around the table. And again, there's usually something more happening, is there not? The kind of people that he's with. Becoming anointed. Recognized in the breaking of the bread. The Last Supper. He says to the crowd, Don't work for food that perishes, like the manna that perished in the wilderness but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And the crowd asks, what must we do? What must we do? And his answer, to believe, to believe, to believe. What signs do you do that we may see and believe, they ask? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's not really surprising, is it, that they need signs, do you think? I mean, this was an extraordinary thing that was happening. And even after our Lord had died and risen, Thomas hadn't seen him, so I need proof, he said. And aren't the times when we need to be reassured? I was reading through, you know, some of the Old Testament doubters. There are questions, but they're asking God always, did you, how can I, will you? So there's sort of this assurance that God is there, even though it's not really making sense, even though we're not understanding, even though we feel that we're unworthy, even though we feel that we are the weakest of the tribe. It wasn't Moses that gave them manna. 
said our Lord, but God, my Father, gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Gives life to the world. And their response, sir, give us this bread always. Remember from Tim's sermon a couple of weeks ago, the Samaritan woman. Give me this water and I'll not be thirsty. Give me this water. Give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's a powerful verse, is it not? Stay with it. Return to it this week, maybe. Sit with it on the green grass. Sit with it in the barren places where the rain does not fall. In the places of hunger and thirst. In the longing, in the doubt. In the call, in the whisper. Even when we cannot gather with friends. Mary Oliver wrote a poem in one of her books called Thirst. The poem's titled, The Vast Ocean Begins Just Outside Our Church, the Eucharist. Indeed, we'll have the Eucharist inside and outside, but that aside, let me read you this poem. She wrote, something had happened to the bread and the wine. They've been blessed, what now? The body leans forward to receive the gift from the priest's hands and then the chalice. They are something else now for what they were before this began. I want to see Jesus, maybe in the clouds or on the shore walking, beautiful man, and clearly something more besides. On the hard days, I ask myself if I ever will. Also, there are times my body whispers to me that I have. Jesus, his body, his blood, the living water that renews and refreshes the blood poured out for us, for the church, for the world, Christ's body, bread of heaven. Take and eat. The Lord is good. The Lord is here. And we're at the heart of the Eucharist. This bread, however we understand it as Christ's body, that we are taking unto ourselves unworthy as we are. The prayer of humble access reminds us we do not presume to come to thy merciful to, thy, to thee, Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, trusting in our riches and talents, trusting in our poverty and weakness. We are not worthy to stand before the king, and yet we come with full hands or empty hands, with doubts and fears. Unworthy are we to gather up the crumbs, and we are given a banquet with the finest wine. I want to think just for a few more minutes as I draw to a close about eating. Eating when we can around the table. But Schumann writes in the 1960s here, centuries of secularism have failed to transform eating into something strictly utilitarian. Food is still treated with reverence. A meal is still a rite, the last natural sacrament of family and friendship, of life that is more than eating and drinking. 
To eat is still something more than to maintain bodily functions. People may not understand that there's something more, but they nonetheless desire to celebrate it. They are still hungry and thirsty for sacramental life. It's something we've missed, is it not? And despite the munching a quick sandwich while we're on the Zoom calls, there is still something about gathering together, gathering as a fellowship as we now slowly start to do, the importance of coming together to worship, to eat, to share. In her book, Alison, uh, Sacramental Hunger, more recent from an essay, uh, rather, Alison Vanderbrook writes, I like, every, like everyone, I've been missing meals together was such a central part of my life, she says, before the pandemic. A potluck with a young group, coffee, hour after church, shared birthday treats, a dinner party with family or friends. And it stopped. She quotes a chef who wrote, for as long as I can remember, gathering people around a table has been a sacred act for me. It's something to ponder, isn't it, as we gather to eat? She quotes to Rachel Held Evan, who points out, Christians believe bread can satisfy not only physical hunger, but spiritual and emotional hunger too. That, she says, it's kind of our main deal. It's kind of our main deal. It recognized Jesus as central to our faith, to our lives, to our very being. All that we have are gifts given from God. The pandemic does not have the last word. Sickness does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Throughout Scripture, there are signs pointing always to Jesus to remind us so that we can respond. Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.